Well, do you guys want to guess what topic I'm talking about? Anybody? Worship. Yeah. That's my passion. That's what I get to share with you guys. I'm like, Jeff asked me to share, and I was like, well, I'm just going to share what I, what I love. So, um, huh? My kids, yes, but they're, they're next door. So, believe it or not, that song, Heart of Worship, is the first worship song I ever led, and that was 19 years ago. It's that old, 1999. Yes, uh, Matt Redman wrote that song. But um, the first time I ever led worship, and I, I got to lead that song, and since then, worship has become my life. Um, as you can imagine, I something I'm very passionate about, so if you can't tell. So there's so much I want to share with you guys tonight. I am going to be covering a lot of Scripture. Um, what I have done to save some time, because... Jesus help me. Um, I have I've written all the scriptures out. I'm going to read them to you guys. I'm going to tell you where they are. There's going to be a few that I'm going to have you guys turn there. If you're like super quick, please do. Um, but I am going to share where things are. Um, you know, I love what Stephen said last Sunday about you become what you worship, right? And so I thought that was a great segue into tonight. So first, let's look at Genesis 2:25. That's where we're going to begin. Am I good here, Jeff? Sound-wise? Okay. Genesis 2, I'm so sorry, not 25, 2, verse 2 through 5. Genesis 2, verses 2 through 5. It says, Abel took the flocks, took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. And at the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. And the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. But with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. So Cain became very angry, and his expression was downcast. And you guys know the end of that story. We're not going to go into that. But what we're going to focus on here is the offerings that they brought to the Lord. This is really the first, um, in the Bible, this is the first story of of worship, the first offering um, that we hear about that's brought to the Lord. And we see here that Cain, it says, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and the fattest of them. So Cain was being obedient. His heart was obedient to the Lord, but he was not willing to give God the best that he had. It doesn't say he was willing to give God the best. While Abel brought the best he had to offer in worship to the Lord. And I want to kind of piggyback on that, that what we just sing about tonight, worship is really about the heart behind the offering. It's not about the offering itself. It's about what's your heart behind it. Worship is so personal. It looks different for everybody. We all have different tastes and styles of music and songs that we like. And the way we connect to God will be different. But what matters to God is our heart throughout the process. He's pleased with our hearts of worship, right? So we're going to break this apart a little bit. Again, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture, so bear with me. Um, I'm going to start with what is worship. The simplest way I could describe worship is it's literally your heart connecting and adoring and appreciating Jesus. The music that we hear, the words that we sing, those are just expressions of a heart attitude of being connected to Jesus. Um, Hebrews 13, verse 15 It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that only openly profess his name. 
we see here that worship is it's not just something that happens when the music begins, but it's something that is deep within our hearts, and it's a command in the Bible. Um, as I began to study for tonight, I found 254 verses about worship in the Bible. It's quite a bit, right? Um, and so worship is its a command in the Bible, and Psalms is an entire book of, of worship, basically. And, it, and so I want to share with you guys how worship really is a key and integral part of our relationship with God. Um, as I've studied the past few weeks and months leading up to tonight, um, I really found five main heart attitudes that came up really often in Scripture that I want to share with you. And so that first heart attitude we're going to talk about is the attitude of thanksgiving. Psalm 69, verses 29 through 31. David really starts out here being brutally honest with God. He says, I am afflicted and in pain. May your salvation, O God, set me securely on high. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving, and it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hooves. So I love that David's such a prime example. As you read through the Psalms, he's often saying, Oh God, I'm struggling with this, but you are worthy. He always starts with being honest with his where he's at with God. He's not, he's not trying to downplay, God, I'm really struggling. But the key thing that David always does, and, and, and what God really wants from us is he wants us to come to him in the middle of our trials and our pain, our fear, our suffering, whatever it is, but acknowledging him and who he is in the midst of it all. It's all about giving him a sacrifice of worship. David was thankful during his affliction, even though he was being pursued and being chased and people, Saul was trying to kill him. Um, he really just had this heart of, God, you are bigger than all of this, and, and you're worthy of, of my praise. I like here, too, that it talks about um, it pleases the Lord better than ox or young bull. Really, David understood that it wasn't the actual animal sacrifice that God wanted Right? I mean, they had to, in the Old Testament, they had to go through that sacrifice to, to cover sin. But he, David understood a deeper level with the Lord that what God wants as an act of worship is our heart. It's a heart attitude. Okay, so we're going to move on to Psalm 100, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 100, 1 through 4. So shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with joy. Enter his presence with joyful singing. Acknowledge the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give him thanks and praise his name. Give him thanks and bless his name. Here we see that praise and thanksgiving, they go hand in hand, they go together. And our worship really begins with a heart of, of thanksgiving, a heart of thankfulness for who God is and what he's done. And that leads us into the gates of his throne room, as this is talking about. So kind of imagine if you've seen any pictures of um, the temple in the Old Testament, there was an outer layer of, of, um, that people could come in and the priest could come in, and then there was an intimate layer where God's presence was, where no one else could go into that place because they were not holy, they were not consecrated. And this is just... And David, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, understood that through praise, we can go deeper with the Lord. We can go deeper into his presence and fellowship with him. When we start with thanksgiving, that thanksgiving 
again, brings praise about in us. And from that place, we can go deeper with the Lord. So that leads us to our second heart attitude, which is praise, right? And praise means exalting, having a deep admiration for or to applaud. In Psalm 22, verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And we sing about that tonight, right? That God is enthroned on our praises. I often, I often speak about how God is seated on our praises, and that's where this comes from. He inhabits our praises. His presence often comes when we worship him. God doesn't just sit up on the throne of heaven and receive our praise and be like, that's, they're singing really nice tonight. You know, he, he actually wants to, to meet with us. And we know this through James 4, verse 8. James 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He longs for us to focus and draw near to him. But the key is with God is he always gives us the choice. We have a choice to follow him. We have a choice to obey. We have a choice to worship. And when we draw near to him and make the effort to, to reach out, God draws near to us. He loves that, and he responds to our hearts to be near. He responds to our worship. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3, says, I will extol you, O my God, O King. I will praise your name continually. Every day I will praise you. I will praise your name continually. The Lord is great and certainly worthy of our praise. No one can fathom his greatness. That's Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3. I love how he says, I'm going to continually praise your name. Every day I will praise you. You know, worship isn't really about Sundays and Wednesdays coming here and singing songs together, although that's a wonderful part of our congregation and and our, our family time with the Lord. But really, worship is such a personal thing that we get to do every single day. Our relationship with God not only depends on a deeper understanding of the Word of God, on a daily basis, but a heart attitude of worship on a daily basis. And it's because he's worthy of our praise. If that's the only reason we worship every day, that's enough. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of every, every ounce of energy and time that we, we focus our hearts on God. He is worthy of all of it and more. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 4. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. My mouth will continually praise him. I will boast in the Lord. Let the oppressed hear and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us praise his name together. I sought the Lord's help and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Now this verse is an example of how we worship corporately. We worship him together. And we begin to, as we worship, we can share our testimonies with each other. Um, about what the Lord has done. He says, let's praise his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Here David is telling everybody, God delivered me. This is a testimony of who God is in my life. So yeah, we're called to worship the Lord on our own, but we're also called to worship the Lord together. And in that worshiping together, we can encourage each other in how God is moving in our life and, and encourage each other through expressing and worshiping to the songs that we sing here. So the third heart attitude of worship we're going to go into is acknowledging God and who he is. 
So we're going to go to Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 29. It says, Acknowledge the Lord, you heavenly beings. Acknowledge the Lord's majesty and power, or his strength. Acknowledge the majesty of the Lord's reputation, or another, um, another way to say that is the glory of his name. In Psalm 22, verse 27. It says, let all the people of the earth acknowledge the Lord and turn to him. Let all the nations worship you. Our acknowledgement of God is, is really for two reasons. One, it reminds us of who he is and what he's done in our own personal life. And two, as we just talked about, it's a testimony to others about our God, who he is and what he's done in our life. Kind of ties in again with what Stephen was saying, what you worship you become like, right? So when we begin to, when we continue to worship God, and through that, our testimony comes out, we are the image of Christ to those who get to hear our worship, right? Whether that's singing or whether that's just, hey guys, I've got to tell you what God did in my life, right? Just sharing of what God has put in our heart, that's a testimony. So acknowledging God, which is the third heart attitude of worship, Reminds us of who he is and what he's done, and it's a testimony to others about God. Psalm 68, verse 34. 68, verse 34. says, Acknowledge God's power, his sovereignty over Israel, and the power he reveals in the sky. I love this verse because, you know, we all have hard days. We all have days where we're like, God, this was the roughest day. Like, I can't even think of one thing I'm thankful for right now. You you guys ever been there? You're just like, oh, Lord. I love that it talks about the power he reveals in the sky. If we're ever at a loss for how to acknowledge God, we don't have to look any further than nature around us. Like, just look. Oh, my gosh, those mountains, the sunset. That bird is beautiful. The coloring on that bird is so creative. I don't know how, God, you thought of that. Like, just being able to observe nature around us is glorifying God. If you're ever at a place where, God, I just, I don't know what to say tonight. I don't know what to say today. We can just look around us and acknowledge that God had created this amazing place we get to live. Adoration is going to be the fourth heart attitude. Adoration. And adoration means a deep love and respect for. A few other words that describe adoration would be devotion, affection, awe, reverence, exalting. So Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. 95, verses 6 and 7 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. He is worthy of our adoration. He deserves our respect and our awe our devotion, our affection, our reverence. God's plan has always been, from Adam and Eve, to be in relationship and fellowship with us. And Jesus paid the price for us to have that. So he is worthy to be glorified and revered and praised and exalted and loved and admired, if just for that, right? If just for the cross, that's, that's it. We don't need any other reasons, right? And the final heart attitude of worship I want to talk about is obedience. 
And we're going to hang out here for a minute. So turn with me to Genesis 22. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 14. It's going to be a minute, so please be patient. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. The final heart attitude is obedience. Obedience. And obedience is surrendering our hearts and our will to God. And so for this, we're going to look at the story of Abraham. Genesis 22, we're going to begin in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Take note of that. God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I go up there with the boy. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to the father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the wood, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. They reached the place that God had told them about, and Abraham built an an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. We see here in verse 1 that God was testing Abraham's heart, right? Our worship really allows God to purify our hearts. To believe that when we give him those things that are, matter the most to us, We can trust him with it. I mean, in this story, you think about Abraham didn't, he didn't argue with God. He didn't remind God, God, you promised me, you promised me Isaac, and then you promised me that I'd be a father to many nations through Isaac. So what are you, I mean, he didn't, he didn't ask questions. He got up early the next morning and he obeyed. And in the midst of all that, he had faith that God would do the impossible because he told his servants, we'll come back to you. Not I will come back to you, but we will come back to you. And then he told Isaac, God will provide the lamb. Abraham knew God's heart. He knew God made a promise, and he trusted God. Worship challenges us to surrender everything in our hearts and to trust. And when, when we worship God and we trust his plan and his desire for us, regardless of if we can see the outcome, God is pleased with that. You see here that surrender, Abraham's surrender is an act of worship. 
Obedience is, is the form of surrender. Surrendering our will, our desires, our emotions, everything, and being able to say to God, it's not my will, but yours be done. Okay. Um, we know some of the heart attitudes of worship. Now, I'm going to briefly go through a couple of stories. And um, we're going to talk about what happens when we worship. As I mentioned before, God doesn't just sit on the throne in heaven and receive our praise, right? He's active. He draws near, James 4, 8, and he responds to us. So, um, turn, to me, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to look at verses 15 through 22. 2 Chronicles 20, verses 15 through 22. Uh, one thing that God is continuing to teach me over the years is that our worship is a tool. It's an act of warfare that God fights for us, and he responds when we worship. So we're going to look here at King Jehoshaphat. Um, it's not a well-known story because, you know, it's in the Chronicles, and sometimes they can be a little long. But... We're going to read this tonight because God has just shared so much with me in it. So um, we see here King Jehoshaphat at this point, he'd gathered all this people. They were seeking the Lord on what to do because their enemies were rising up against them. And they came together and they were asking God, what do we do? Do we fight? What do you want us to do? So we're going to pick up here in verse 15. And they had just asked God again what to do. And the word of the Lord came through a man, a prophet. So we're going to start in 15. It says, He, this is the prophet, said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judea and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord God says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. We're going to jump down to 17. It says, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face toward the ground, and all the people of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and worshipped him. Now we're going to skip down to um, the end of verse 20. It says, Listen to me, you people of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. Trust the Lord, your God, and you will be safe. Trust the message of his prophets, and you will win. He met with the people and appointed musicians, he meaning King Jehoshaphat, met with the people and appointed musicians to play before the Lord and to praise his majestic splendor. And as they marched ahead of the warriors, they said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love endures. And when they began to shout and praise, the Lord suddenly attacked the Amabites, Moabites, and the men from Mount Seir. Right away we see that first off, Jehoshaphat was seeking God. He was like, God, what do we do? What are we going to do with this army? He was acknowledging God as his Lord. He was asking God, I want to do what you want. I want your will. He was surrendering to the Lord. He bowed down immediately after the Lord said, I'm going to deliver you. Jehoshaphat bowed down and worshipped as soon as he received God's word. And the people began to praise. They gave God the thanks right away. They were obedient to what he told them to do. And they worshipped God. He didn't tell them to worship, but they did, right? They worshipped out of a heart so thankful of what God was going to do. They, they began to worship and praise him for who he was. He was going to fight for them. And it said that God, it says, when they began to shout and praise, the Lord suddenly attacked. It's like as soon as he heard that, he responded. He responded to their hearts of worship. They surrendered to his will and his plan. 
all while praising and worshiping, and he conquered for them. There's another example of God responding to hearts of worship and obedience, and that's in, of course, we know this one, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. It's in Joshua 6. Uh, For the sake of time, you can turn there. I'm just going to read just the beginning, Joshua 6, verse 1 through through 5. Um, But you guys are very familiar with this passage, I'm sure. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, and no one went in and out. And no one came out. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all of the armed men. Do it for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So we see here in, in 6 verse 2, it says, the Lord, he promised right away to, to defeat Jericho. And as you read on through the passage, going down all the way through verse 16, Joshua did exactly, he was obedient. He did exactly what God told him to do. The priests did everything. They carried the Ark of the Covenant. They went ahead with the ram's horns. They were blowing them. They did their march for six days, and on the seventh day went seven times around. But after the final time around, Joshua said, give the battle cry. And what happened? the walls fell down. Just like the word, our Bible is as sharp as a two-edged sword. Worship is a tool in our hand against the attack of the enemy. When we have hearts of worship, hearts of thanksgiving, hearts of praise, praising God and acknowledging him, hearts that adore him and that are obedient, he responds. When we have hearts that are worshipful, the worship begins to change our perspective. It takes the focus off of us and our circumstances and onto God. We see this in the story of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. You can turn with me. I'm only going to read one verse, but it's Acts 16, verses 16 through 23. We see Paul and Silas were beaten severely and thrown into prison. Um, And so we're going to skip down to verse 16, verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the rest of the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, I lost my spot. A great earthquake occurred, and then the foundations of prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors flew open, and the bonds of all the prisoners came loose. God responded to their worship. They weren't worshiping like, God, will you get us out of here? God. We were beaten for no reason. Like they, they weren't in that place. They were just, God, you're, you're worthy. Whatever we have to go through, whatever the trial is, you're worthy of it. And he responded. He meets us where we are, and he even can change the physical environment around us. Again, Paul and Silas weren't focused on, on their circumstances. Their hearts were focused on God and who he was. And that was a witness. You see, the prisoners were listening to them. That was a witness to those around them of who their God was and how much they loved him and how faithful he was to them. And because of them, everyone in that prison became aware of God really quickly. When what? All the doors open, all the chains fall off, and they're like, whoa, this is, God is real. This isn't just crazy people, right? God responds to our worship. All right, so we know the, the hard attitudes of worship. We talked about that. But practically, how do we worship? How, how, how do we do this on a daily basis? 
how or why do we do it the way we do it here at the Oasis? So, okay, the heart attitudes are thanksgiving, praise, adoration, acknowledgement, God, and obedience, right? So these are pretty simple. I'm not even asking you to sing on a daily basis. What I'm asking you to do is begin to, one, be thank, thank God. Remind him, remind yourself of who he is and how faithful he's been in your life. Start your day out, God, thank you for today. Thank you that I'm alive. Thank you for your forgiveness, your love, whatever that is. Start with that heart of thankfulness. Praise God for what he's done. You know, if something happens, you're, God, thank you, praise you. You are wonderful. You're magnificent. I can't believe you did that. Whatever that is, acknowledge what God is doing in your life. Remind yourself and those you come in contact with about his faithfulness and what he's done. Witnessing is praising and acknowledging God. It's an act of worship. And then obedience, I mean, obedience is, it's hardest, but it's the simplest, right? If God tells you to do something, you do it. I mean, this is as simple as sharing God's love with someone at the gas station or the grocery store or Starbucks or wherever it is. Being obedient to what God is asking you to do in that moment, right? So, as we think about that, okay, that's how we kind of do it every day. Obviously, we can worship as much as we want to music. There's great Christian music out there. I always have worship music on in my house. Um, obviously, we can do that. But how do we do it corporately? And why do we do it the way we do it here? I want to challenge you that as you think about worship when you come in, be mindful of what the songs are actually saying. Right? It's easy to kind of go through the motions. You shuffle in. It's been a crazy morning or a crazy night. And, okay, I'm here. I made it. My kids are dressed. And we're here. And we're on time. Whatever. It's easy to kind of start going through the motions. But when you start to stop and say, what, what are these lyrics? What are they talking about? What do they mean? Where's this from in the Bible? Like, what verse is this about? What is the song saying about God? What does it say about who he is? And wh- what... How do I want to respond to this? How does this make me feel? What is my response going to be to God about focusing on what this song is talking about, with with this, this heart of worship? What's my heart of worship going to be towards God today during this worship time? As we worship God, as Stephen said, you become like the image of what you worship. We have a deeper understanding of who God is and what he's done. We start to look more like Jesus. A little more like Jesus to everyone who we come in contact with. And God responds to us. He fights our battles for us. Okay. So why do we do worship the way we do it here? There's many ways to do it worship. There's so many ways, and not many of them are wrong. It's really so personal about how you connect with God. But first, we obviously want to follow Jesus' example. Matthew, in Matthew 26, 30, and in Mark 14, verse 26, we see how important it was to Jesus that before he go to the cross and after he did the Lord's communion with his disciples, he led them in worship. It was the last thing he did with them before he went to Mount Sinai. The Mount of Olives, I'm sorry. Um, so before, he knew what laid before him. 
He knew exactly what he was going to go through. He knew the torture he was going to go through. He knew the pain he was going to go through. He knew that he was going to be separated from his Father God. He knew all of that. He knew he was going to bear the weight of our sin. And he chose worship as the last thing he did with him before they set out to go pray, and he was ultimately betrayed. Ephesians 5 talks about being imitators of God. Worshiping is imitating God. Ephesians 5, um, verses 19 and 20. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things, in the name of the Lord Christ to God even the Father. Being an imitator of God means worshiping Him. When it talks about singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, that just means singing what's on your heart or confessing what's on your heart to God at that time. It says here, be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps lead us in worship, you guys. He's our counselor. He leads us in everything we allow him to. I want to touch base on this part that says Psalms, or Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are songs that really come from the Holy Spirit within us. And some of you may wonder why, oh my gosh, why, what is she even singing? It's not on the screen. Why is she singing that? What, are we, what is she doing? I'm singing a spiritual song and making melody in my heart to the Lord. And often, more often than not, this is it's led by what God has laid on my heart for that particular time of worship. It's an important part of worship because, number one, God calls us to do it. He says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. It's not strange to him that we want to respond in our own way besides, besides the words that are on the screen. We want to respond in our own hearts to him, right? And lastly, I want to share this verse um, in John, John 4. 23 and 24, and this is the verse that God really led me to um, eight years ago when I, when I came to the Oasis and, and started leading worship. I said, God, what, what is your heart for worship here? John 4, 23 and 24, it says, But a time is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. God is just after our hearts in worship. He just wants us to draw near, and he wants to respond. That's one of the many reasons we should treat worship as a key part of our, of our walk with the Lord, as our daily life, just, just as reading the word. Because worship changes things. It changes us. It changes us into the image of God. It literally breaks down walls, as we've read about. And it allows us to surrender our will and our desires to that of the Lord. And God responds to us when we worship him. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for all of this. God, I just pray that your word would take root in our hearts. 
that you would teach us what it looks like to have a heart of worship with you. Because it looks different for everybody. God, you don't want us all to be cookie-cutter Christians. God, you created us uniquely. You wired us all uniquely. And your desire is for us to worship you the way we're wired to God. So I just pray that you teach us what does that look like in our heart of worship. How do we do that every day? And how do we do that together as a church body? God, we just want to look more like Jesus every day. We just want to be a representation of you to those around us. We thank you, God. We bless you. You are so worthy tonight. We praise your name. We give you all our hearts. We surrender it all to you, God. We want to be obedient to your will, to your plan for our lives, God. We give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.